Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. If you've been counting, it's day 53 of sheltering in place for those of us who began on March 17th. The COVID-19 death toll has climbed beyond 250,000 globally, with the highest number of those deaths in the United States. Unemployment rates haven't been this bad since the Great Depression. There's a lot of bad news in the world right now. But there's something else happening, too. I'm hearing it murmured in conversations with friends, seeing it pop up on social media. Even though we want this current way of living to end, most of us don't want to go back to the way things were before, either. What I want, what maybe all of us are longing for, is a third way. A way to hold on to the good things about this life and combine them with the more stable parts of our pre-pandemic existence. Last month, I read a story by someone who has been thinking about this a lot. Not just because she wants there to be a third way, but because she's seen evidence in history that it's possible. Rebecca L. Spang is a historian and professor at Indiana University. Her area of expertise is 18th and 19th century France. She's been watching our country and our world these past few months, and she says a lot of what we're experiencing right now is remarkably similar to what went on during the French Revolution. In her story, The Revolution is Underway Already, she says, In hindsight, a revolution may look like a single event, but they are never experienced that way. Instead, they are extended periods in which the routines of normal life are dislocated and existing rituals lose their meaning. They are deeply unsettling, but they're also periods of great creativity. As some Americans take shelter in their homes from a newly arrived threat and others put their health at risk to combat it, we can all mourn lost certainties but we can also set about intentionally creating new possibilities. To claim this moment as a revolution is to claim it for human action. I first came across Rebecca's story when I was researching episode 28, the episode I did on why it's so unsettling for us that every day feels exactly the same. I was looking for accounts of the 10-day work week during the French Revolution, I hadn't realized that there were so many other parallels between our time and that one. Leading up to the French Revolution, the world looked a lot like the one we were living in before COVID-19. Rebecca writes, Much like the past 40 years in the United States and Western Europe, the 1700s were a period of remarkable economic, social, and technological transformation. Just as our lives leading up to this time depended on daily disposable items, many of which could be delivered to our doorstep in just two days, prior to the French Revolution, France was experiencing a consumer revolution, a surge of mass-manufactured goods from Britain and China. 
In my lifetime, I've watched the internet and online media mostly replace the newspapers, magazines, and books I grew up with. In pre-revolution France, there were also brand new forms of media, including the modern novel, easily reproduced prints, and mass-market newspapers with advertisements. Then, as now, political leadership turned reactionary in the face of a proliferation of information available to the public. And sadly, so much of 18th century wealth and advancement was held up by the transatlantic slave trade, just as today the estimated 40 million slaves worldwide generate $150 billion each year in illicit profits for traffickers. Slavery is more hidden today, of course. But according to Free the Slaves, one of the world's leading anti-slavery organizations, modern-day slaves can be found in industries that we all benefit from including farming, ranching, logging, mining, fishing, and brickmaking. They also make up some of our dishwashers, janitors, gardeners, and maids. About 25% of them are children. In France, it all came to a head in the summer of 1789, when peasants and revolutionaries vowed to abolish privilege. Reading about that summer feels a little like reading about the Occupy movement, where our country rallied against the 1%. And yet even after that, we entered this pandemic with the largest wealth gap in history. People who lived through the French Revolution hoped it would be quick. When it dragged on much longer than they'd anticipated, they worried it would never end. It took years to regain stability, and life never went back to the way it had been. But Rebecca doesn't think that those similarities should leave us feeling hopeless. She writes that comparisons can so easily be made between the beginning of the French Revolution and the United States today does not mean that Americans are fated to see a reign of terror or that a military dictatorship like Napoleon's looms large in our future. What it does mean is that everything is up for grabs. The United States of America can implode under external pressure and its own grave contradictions, or it can be reimagined and repurposed. Life will not go back to normal for us either, because the norms of the past decades are simply no longer tenable for huge numbers of Americans. She goes on to say, the United States may not be having a revolution right now, but we are surely living in revolutionary times. If we do not perceive them as such, it is because news coverage and everyday conversations alike turn on non-human agents. Instead of visionary leaders or outraged crowds, viruses, markets, and climate change seem to shape events today. History feels like it is out of our hands. The longer this quarantine has continued, the more I find myself agreeing with Rebecca. I felt frustrated for years that our political system is set up in such a way that only the extremely wealthy have a shot at the presidency. I've wished that we would figure out how to live more sustainably. I'm not convinced that communism is the answer, but I do wish we'd figure out how to do a better job making sure that no one goes hungry, that we all have our basic needs met. Rebecca writes, Human beings are responsible both for much of what is wrong and for much of what could be right about the world today. But we have to take responsibility. I agree with Rebecca, but as she said, I often feel like history is out of my hands. I want our world to change. We all want that. I want there to be a third way. 
but what can I, one single person, do to make a difference? I try to choose sustainable living when I can, but my addiction to convenience often outweighs my altruism. It's hard not to feel like my efforts are so small that they don't count for much. It's hard to get away from the truth that sometimes I'm a walking contradiction. Even so, Rebecca's work is pushing me to reconsider my resignation. She says, The most timeless and emancipatory lesson of the French Revolution is that people make history. Likewise, the actions we take and the choices we make today will shape both what future we get and what we remember of the past. Rebecca thinks that we need to imitate not the outcome of the French Revolution, but the energy, creativity, and optimism that came from it. So today, my gift of daily sanity to you is this. What if we shoved off our cynicism and fatigue for a moment today? and instead used our energy, creativity, and optimism to imagine what our world could be. What if the world beyond COVID-19 were one where we stay connected to our families, where we prioritize relationships over work? What if we drove less, walked more, reached out when people needed help? What if we approached each day with the intention to make this world a little bit better to live in, if we stopped for five minutes to write a note to someone to let them know that we see them, we appreciate what they're doing in this world. What if we gave to those in need, not because we have extra, but because giving sacrificially makes us more content and whole? If that all sounds a little idealistic to you, then let's ground those wild dreams. What if we decided right here and now that we are not going to tolerate leaders who turn a blind eye to human rights violations? What if instead of looking for ways to tear down the political party we don't like, we figured out a way to work together? Because no matter where we land politically, there are things, at least for most of us, that we can agree on. I have yet to meet anyone who thinks that it's okay for people to go hungry or be enslaved or live on the streets. I've never heard someone say that the world would be better without the art and music and beauty that makes this world worth living in. What if there were a third way of living and we had a hand in making it a reality? What if each of us reimagined ourselves not as passive victims of circumstance, but as revolutionaries who've had enough? It all sounds a little crazy, but life is crazy right now. Let's come out of this time saying that we did something to find sanity in it. Something that made us better. As Rebecca says, the changes in our world may not look like a revolution, but real revolutions are the ones that no one sees coming. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music 
was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the shelter-in-place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.